as well. So, so thankful for that. Well, Advent, um, Advent, it's a time of waiting and has moments of waiting and moments of joy. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of a time early on in, in Kelly and our relationship. And don't worry, I, I let her know just about two minutes ago that I was going to share this story. So she's prepped. No, it's one that she shares, so I, I know it's okay. But um, we're just months in, I'd say, or just weeks in, weeks into our um, dating relationship, we've known each other for a year or so. And, and within just a few weeks, I think we were, we were pretty sure this is, I think this is, this is where the Lord is leading us. But Kelly, she is, was already in the process of going with the International Mission Board, the, the sending mission agency that we give toward. And there's a lot of application process for that. And uh, about, I don't know, how many weeks? Six weeks? Eight weeks in? She's saying three weeks. Oh, my goodness. Three weeks in uh, for us dating. She had this interview. Um, and so she flew out to Virginia and they do a lot of just a lot of questions. They ask you all sorts of things about your life. They just want to know that you're ready to go overseas because clearly it's a huge investment and it's a big deal to go and serve overseas. And in the midst of that, they found out that she was dating someone and that was an unresolved relationship. And they were like, why don't you figure that out before we move forward? Um, so Kelly, she called me and she said, well... They put me on hold, <laughs> and uh, I think she, I was a little nervous. She was a little nervous, but I was, I was like, woohoo, yay, <laughs> this is okay, this is okay. I don't think I said woohoo on the phone, I don't think, but um, so then uh, a couple days later, Kelly came back home, and we're, we're living in Louisville at that time, and they have a kind of a smaller airport, and I went to go pick up Kelly. And everyone was kind of unloading from the, the plane and coming down that hallway. And I was looking for Kelly and was waiting. I was so excited. And she came in. And I, get, I, I swear that there was just, she was glowing. There was just a halo above her. And, and, I, and I, there's a halo above me. And we were like, oh. And I think it was in that moment we were like, okay, this is, this, this is God's plan. But we were waiting. There was just exceeding joy in that moment. Um, it, but as we go into Advent, there's times that we think about f- waiting. We think about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Our Advent book this year is called Fixated. It's all about fixing our eyes upon Jesus, longing for him um, in, in a much greater way than in that moment of Kelly and I waiting and the longing to be like, okay, we're on a journey here together. We need to look to Jesus. Oh, we should long for him. It, and maybe um, in your life right now, you've wandered a bit from him. Or maybe just the being consumed with just busyness of life. Or maybe even consumed just with fleeting things. There's been a distance between you and Christ. And may even this morning be a stirring up again. Or maybe even stirring up for the first time, knowing the joy and the peace that is in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, he, he is joy. Um, we look to that joy that is Christ. This year or two with our, our decorating of our, our house, we, we pull things out to decorate the house, as most of us do. And in the midst of that, we had several other of those Advent devotionals that we've used through the years. And this week, I saw one of them on our, on our table 
and it, it really struck out, and I was like, I got to look at that a little bit more, because it had joy on the front. I'm like, well, that's what we're looking at today. But it was one by John Piper that's called The Dawning of Indestructible Joy. Just the title alone, you could be like, okay, that's, that's all I need. The Dawning of Indestructible Joy. And he just begins, even in the preference, it's really great. He's just looking at, in Second Peter, Peter writes to the churches and there, and he says he's writing because he wants to stir them up by reminder. He just wants to remind them and stir them up about truths about God. And we need to be reminded and stirred up and awoken again to the joy that can be found in Jesus Christ. The hope that's found in him, even in the midst of trial. He, his, the joy that we find in Christ is such that it's not the same joy of a trial. When a trial is removed or suffering is removed, of course we have joy. But his joy is such that it is a joy that is even in the midst of trials, enabling us to walk through those circumstances, even when they, they continue, that we have hope in the midst of them. It's a joy that hopefully is stirred up this morning as we look at an Old Testament passage. Each week during Advent, we have been looking into the Old Testament. It's almost been a bit of a minor prophet study of looking at these different minor prophets. And today, we're in the Old Testament book of Zephaniah. So it's, it's one of those last books in the Old Testament. If, you're, if you want to use the Pew Bible, it's on page 877. If you happen to have my Bible, it's on page 1,248. I've got a lot of notes. I, I'm actually using a different Bible than normal, so I pulled out a, um, a different, um, really a devotional Bible, a study Bible that I like to use sometimes. So Zephaniah, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to look at the context, we're going to look at the text, and we're going to see how it looks to Jesus, and then look at how it applies um, to us and impacts us today. So the context. And before we do that, l- let me pray. Dear Father God, we, we thank you. Um, for your kindness to us. Lord, we, we recognize, we even, um, if we've looked at the news over the last 24 hours, we, we know um, how fortunate we are. Lord, we do pray for those who are affected by the storms that, that came through um, yesterday. And we ask for your mercies upon um, families who have lost everything, or families who have even lost um, relatives, maybe moms and dads, spouses. We pray for um, your moment-by-moment grace and sustaining in those lives. We pray for those who are coming in to help and to pray and to to share of a hope that, that is greater than than the circumstance that is exceedingly greater than, than all that we can find here um, on this earth. It's the joy that we have in Jesus. So we pray for that today, and may we be mindful of that. May we even just pause and be thankful to you for the things that we do have. Lord, stir up in us, again, an acknowledgement of who you are and the gift that we have in Jesus Christ, our King. We pray in Jesus' name. So Zephaniah, let's look at the context. Look at the context. Well, Zephaniah, he is a prophet. He's a prophet of the Lord during the reign of King Josiah. Uh, King Josiah would be in that 
in the last decades or so of Judah before they're conquered and destroyed by Babylon. So we've talked about the different prophets or, and the different segments of history. So this is kind of at the beginning of each one that we've talked about before there is an um, attack by Babylon, before exile. Here we have this prophecy of Zephaniah, and his name means God protects. Um, he's a descendant. If you look at the, the first couple verses of Zephaniah, he's a, the descendant of, of Hezekiah. And most likely, since it's put in there, it's probably Hezekiah the king even, who was one of the last good kings. We also see he's son of Cushai. And most likely, um, we don't know 100%, most likely he, his father was that, who was a, maybe a Cushite, uh, which would have been from the area of modern-day Ethiopia. So it's possible that Zephaniah was also had mixed ancestry of that. So it's kind of cool. Ethiopia is kind of an important place for our family. So kind of neat, maybe Zephaniah was was um, part Ethiopian, but it's possible. And then in Zephaniah as well, it talks about the Cushites two or three times within the book. So it kind of points to that possibility in that. Well, King, King Josiah reigns during this time. And he was a good king. He was one who brought about reform um, to Jerusalem. He turned back to the Lord and called them to turn back to the word of God, to the law and to right worship. Uh, but there were still those who didn't repent. There were still those who followed the idols of the nations around them. There's still a syncretism, a, a mixture of, of Judaism with pagan, pagan beliefs that was still mixed. And it was just pervasive during that time. But there were those who did repent, those who did turn back to the Lord. Zephaniah itself, if you were to kind of break it up, you could probably break it up different ways, but... Three, there's really three main sections. You have chapter 1 into the beginning of chapter 2 that speaks about judgment upon Jerusalem. It speaks in really strong terms. It's almost like that creation is undone at the very beginning of Zephaniah. Strong terms of God's judgment coming on, coming in, and there's this invasion of an army. And we know that is then later Babylon that comes in. And at, at the same time, there's hope, there's a possibility of repentance and a remnant, a people who would, would repent and would remain. We see that in the very beginning. Then in the middle, we have a section where from uh, chapter 2 into the beginning of chapter 3 where there's judgment upon the surrounding nations. So there's uh, all this uh, judgment that is declared that will happen to the, those nations around them, conquering will come through by Babylon into these nations and then also into Jerusalem again. Then again, it speaks about Jerusalem, Judah being judged with the other nations because they too have rebelled against God in that way. And then finally, it's kind of interesting, you have all of this judgment and it's just really devastating. And then you have in chapter three, you have joy breakthrough. You have Hope, you have purification, you have salvation, you have redemption that breaks in in the midst of, of this book about judgment. And we see hope of, a sal- of salvation. We see a true king that comes about and the people are called to just rejoice. So we'll, we'll dig into that. We'll look into that in just a little bit as we look at, at chapter 3. But before we do that, let me read verse 8 of chapter 3 of Zephaniah. Verse 8 says, Therefore, wait for me, 
This is the Lord's declaration until the day I rise up for plunder. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms in order to pour out my indignation on them. All my burning anger for the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealousy. Okay, strong terms. That couldn't be any stronger. The nations will be gathered and judgment will come. But we see very quickly, even though there's this really bleak picture, that as we continue on, that judgment, it's not the last word. It's not the end statement in Zephaniah, nor is it in in God's plan. But joy then breaks forth. We see sin, brokenness, we see evil, but they do not have the final word in these things. Ultimately, that there is triumph, there's a remnant, there's salvation, there's redemption, there's purification that comes out of this strong judgment that comes. So we see, again, judgment, it's not the final word, but there's salvation to come. There's, there's hope, there's joy that breaks forth in the midst of turmoil in the book of Zephaniah. And I think that's a message we need to know and hear. So now let's look at our, our text for today. We're going to focus in on really verses 14 through 20. But let me highlight a little bit of 9 through 13 as well, because this is where the tone begins to change in, in chapter 3. Let me just read verse 9. For I will then restore pure speech to the peoples, so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him with a single purpose. So we see things change here. There's restoration, there's purification that happens for all the nations, including Jerusalem. And we see in these verses that they call upon the Lord, that they humble themselves in repentance, that they turn back to God, that they seek Him alone as their refuge. And there's holy living, there's a change of life that happens And all of the nations are kind of brought in. And we see a fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. If you remember in the the Old Testament early on in Genesis, that there's a promise made to Abraham that through his family, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. And we see this begin to be fulfilled here, even in, in these verses. So there's such a change that happens. There's purification that happens to the nations. And then we see as we continue, there's these words in 14 and following directly to, to Israel. And I think we're caught up in that as well. Let me read verses 14 through 16. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. And today I'm reading from the, the Christian Standard Bible. Most of the time we're in the ESV, but I just wanted to read from this one today. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart. Daughter Jerusalem, the Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. So here it begins, and there's just this call for the people of God just to sing, to sing and exalt and to praise. Again, joy. Joy is breaking forth here. They're to sing with great joy. And they sing because there's this entrance of a king. And it's a king that's not like all of the human kings that have come before. This is a different king. Josiah, he was a good king. He brought about reform. 
and turning back to the Lord, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't ultimate. And even at the end of his life, Josiah goes out into battle and there's, he dies tragically. And his sons after him um, do not follow in his footsteps. And they, they go back to worshiping false gods and they reject God's word. But this new king comes in. A king, if you see, is king, the king of Israel, the Lord God. In your translation, it probably has capital L-O-R-D, which is that translation for the word Yahweh, the personal name of God, the, the great I am. So the king that comes in, the king of Israel, it's the Lord himself, and he's in their midst, he's among them, he's with them. It might make you think of that name that we see in Isaiah, prophesied of the Messiah to come, Emmanuel, that we know is then attributed to Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And he will take away judgment, we see. Judgment will be paid for, will be taken care of by the king. Enemies will be vanquished. Fear removed. So the king is in their midst, in the midst of this time. And there's a, a changing that happens. Even in the midst of this book that has all these judgments to come, he breaks in. And we know of one who has broken into this world that even in the midst of trials, we know that he has overcome this world. So curse of sin and Satan who just desires to destroy and attack us who are image bearers. There's destruction. There's a king who is greater. There's a king who is greater. And this should begin to make us point us right to Jesus, right? Verse 17, though. Let's continue. The Lord your God is among you. He's in your midst, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. So here there's this change where first it says people rejoice, sing. And now it says that he rejoices over his people. There's gladness for his people. And he rejoices over them. And he is quieted or rested in his love. He's quieted in his love. There's a, a change here. And he rejoices over his redemption and his love. One commentator put it this way. It gives the picture of God being absorbed and contemplating how much he loves you. God being completely taken in by the contemplation of his redemption. You see that he redeems his people. And he rejoices as well. He exalts over them with loud singing. This is again, it's a picture of a bridegroom rejoicing over his bride, just singing over here, and it just breaks forth. Today, the, the Bible I grabbed was, uh, it's a Spurgeon, uh, devo- it's more of a, it says study Bible, but it's really a devotional Bible. It just has some notes from Charles Spurgeon, a preacher of old, and this is what he said. I, I was taken up. In what he said here, it says, The last word is the most wonderful of all. He will delight in you with singing. Think of the great Jehovah singing. Can you imagine it? It is possible to conceive, is it possible to conceive of the deity breaking into song, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together singing over the redeemed? God is so happy in the love he bears to his people that he breaks the eternal silence and sun and moon and stars with astonishment. Hear God chant a hymn of joy. So he just sings a hymn of joy over his people as he redeems them and rescues them. 
And then we read verses 19 through 20. Yet at that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather and gather the outcast. I will make those who were disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at the same time, I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, the Lord has spoken. So here is as king, the king of Israel, the Lord God is amongst us. Justice comes, the lame and, and the, the outcast, the lowly, they're brought in. So shame and suffering turns to praise and even fame. So there's a, a total reversal, there's salvation, there's complete restoration that's pictured here. And we do see a partial fulfillment of this is the people, they, they, Babylon does come in, we've talked about that in the, in the coming week, or the last few weeks, and, and they are going to exile, but there is a restoration that happens, and they do return to the land, but then we see even greater fulfillment as Jesus Christ comes, and he is one who ushers in the kingdom of God, and he establishes the church where peoples of all nations are gathered in and become sons and daughters of the king. And this begins at the first advent that we, we talk about and we think about during Christmas time. And we look toward that second coming of Christ where all will be fulfilled in this. So now we're beginning to, to look to Jesus. So how else do we see Jesus in this text as it points us to this king? Well, in verses 15 and 17, it does talk about the king of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh. He's in their midst, he's among them. He's in the midst. It really seems to echo from that of the prophecies of Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah, that speaks of Emmanuel, which means God with us, which we know, as we see in the New Testament, the Gospels, they point us, Matthew points us, that Jesus fulfilled these verses. Let me read from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know Emmanuel, it means God with us, God in our midst. And then Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, continues to talk about this child, this Messiah, this king to come. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that, that these are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, fully God and fully man. Think of also the story of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem the last week of his life during Holy Week before he is crucified. And of course then it raises again from the dead. And it points to him as being king entering in to Jerusalem. This is in John. We've studied this before, but... The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 12 through 16, says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on 
a donkey colt. So Jesus, again, fulfilling prophecy, entering in as the king. And he's the king who is fully God and fully man, the son of God. And he does take away judgment. As we know, he, he, he enters in this journey as he goes into Jerusalem. And it's in that last week of his life. And he's set out on this road where he is arrested, where he's beaten, where he's nailed to the cross and bears uh, our sin, the judgment for our sin, the wrath of God for our sin on the cross for us. And then rising again that we might be forgiven, that his righteousness might be given to us as his sin, our sin was placed upon him. Think of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin, so that in him, uh, so he made him to, let me start again. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we could be forgiven. So we see Jesus, the King of Israel, the King of the Jews. I was even posted above him on the cross when he died on the cross. Because he indeed is, is uh, King Jesus, King of Israel, King of the Jews. And Jesus dying on the cross, we see both the justice and the love of our God mingled as he died. But then he didn't stay in the grave. Of course, he rose again. So we are, as followers of Jesus, as, as those who are, are Christians, those who have rested in him, sons and daughters of the king, if we've turned from our sin and turned from ourselves and rested in Jesus, we today, we can even joyfully proclaim the truth that Jesus is king. He has risen. He has taken our punishment away that we can have his righteousness, that we can stand before holy and just God. And if we know him, we know his love, we know his his kindness, and we can rejoice in him. So how, how are some of the different ways that, as we look to this, we look to the joy that we have in Jesus today, how do we walk in that? How do we have the joy of Christ? Well, I think of Jesus, who is, indeed, is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus called us to abide in him, that he might abide in us. And that we might enter into his joy. I mentioned at the beginning how I came across that devotional from John Piper called The Dawning of Indestructible Joy. And in that first, uh, just first few pages, he lists several vo- verses that just speak about the joy that Jesus brings. Let me just read some of those verses. Luke 2, 10 says, and the angel said to them, so again, at the birth of Jesus Christ, the announcement by the angels of Christ's birth, they say to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So the announcement at the birth of Jesus, it didn't say, he didn't say there's good news of, of okay joy or partial joy, or passing joy, or mediocre momentary joy. But no, no, great joy. So he ushers in great joy at his birth, even, of Jesus, eternal lasting joy. Then John 16, 20 through 22, this is near the end of Jesus' life, where he, he knows that he will be arrested and crucified. And he also knows he will rise again, and he's letting the disciples know. He's prepping them a bit 
and what's to come. And he says this to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your, soy, your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human, be- that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one, no one will take your joy from you. So you see at the end of Jesus' ministry and life, he just lets the disciples know, you will have sorrow, um, but I will return. There will be joy that will come. And speaking of the resurrection and ascension, maybe even pointing to his second coming as well. But a joy will come, he says, that, that no one can take from you. No one can rob this joy from you. It cannot be taken. This is an indestructible joy that Jesus ushers in when we trust in him. When we turn from self and sin and find salvation in him, a joy is given to us. And it's a joy sometimes we have to fight for at times. Sometimes it's a joy that, that grows little by little. And it's just moment by moment at times as well in the midst of times of sorrow and trial. And then John 15. Now at the beginning of this year, we began in John 15. And we talked about abiding in Jesus. And it may be that on the last Sunday of this year, we need to, to revisit that whole section. It was three sermons, so, so just um, be ready for a late lunch. No, no, well, I'll, I'll sum it up. But I'm just thinking that may be where we need to go. But I was, I was encouraged and reminded, just a little bit of review. But let me read the, the verse about joy that Jesus spoke when he talked about being the vine and abiding. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Just love that passage. We're called to abide in Christ, and that as we abide, we would have a joy from him that would just be full. We're called to abide in him and allow his words to abide in us. And they're they're good, gracious, merciful, just words that that God has given us to guide us and use in our lives through his spirit. And there's a call to joy that's found here. We grow in joy. Again, it might be just a small nugget of joy that it grows as we know and we grow in our understanding of who Christ is and as he um, continues to sustain us. And our joy will be complete. It'll be full. And we're created, we're those who are created in the image of God, and we're created for joy. We're designed to be vessels uh, that have a great capacity of joy, which is a good thing. And He is the one that we are created to find fulfillment of that joy in, is in Christ, in relationship with Him. And it's one that we get to taste now. And when we see him face to face, we'll get a taste in full. So think of a moment where you felt like you really tasted the joy of Christ. And that was just a small nugget of what we will fully experience in all of eternity. We can be encouraged in that. And it's a true joy. It's not a, a counterfeit, hallmarky kind of happiness joy. It's not that. It's not 
um, that of, of a fun snowball fight where you, you fall and you kiss the one that you love or whatever. If, you ever, if you've watched a Hallmark movie, you know what I'm talking about. If not, then I've just explained all Hallmark Christmas movies to you. So, but it's more than that. But our culture, though, rejects Christ and Jesus and finds, tries to find joy in all sorts of things. And even like we've talked about in the last few weeks of joy looking in. They think that joy is found inward and I can be my own happiness or, or I can look in and find my own joy. But we are not the standard that God has called us to, to find joy. It's outside of ourselves in him. And we're created for so much more. Than, than just looking in and trying to muster up joy. There's a, a huge joy that we are to find in him, joy uh, that we can't uh, fill up in ourselves and our own. We need the joy that is given to us by our God through his spirit. I think of, of that where Christ later in chapter 16, after this, he talks about that he will send his spirit who will be a helper, a comforter, a counselor, and we think of the fruit of the Spirit that's given to us in Galatians 5.22 that speaks. But the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self, gentleness and self-control. So in this life, um, watching a good movie, it's fun, but it's not, not going to do it. Even doing a bunch of, of of charitable work. It might bring us momentary joy, but it, there's something greater that God has pointed us to, to find our joy in Him. And our joy can't be found in ultimately in our kids or, or in our spouse. They, they were not created to, to bear the weight of, of giving us joy. Yes, they do. We do find joy in our kids and our spouse, but ultimately we created to find our joy in, in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. He is the source and the giver of all of joy. So may we even today and throughout this time of Advent, may we be stirred up again, maybe awakened again to the joy that is in Christ Jesus. And that may be that, that might be just a moment by moment, his sustaining you if you're walking through just burdens of sorrow. It may be that of him just manifesting his mercy in small ways throughout your day enabling you to, to, to look to him and find joy in him. And this morning, maybe you come and you, you recognize that you've never, never known the joy of Christ, that you're far from him. And this might be a morning for you to, to turn from yourself and your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, repent and believe and come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and find rest in me. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we, we thank you uh, for, your, for your great kindness to us. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've created us to be those who are, are receivers of joy, receivers of your joy. Lord, I pray that you would enable us, even if we are walking in the midst of trial and heartbreak and burdens, that you would manifest, uh, just show us your love and your joy and your kindness, uh, just enabling and sustaining us, even, even today or this week or through this holiday season. Lord, may you be our hope. Lord, help us to not try to find our hope and joy in other things that were never meant to sustain that joy. 
Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, our King, Emmanuel, God with us, that we can have hope even in this moment. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.